Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Johnny McGonigal. Hello there, Penn State football fans. Bob Flounders, John McGonigal joining you on a well, little bit of a rainy Tuesday here in late October. We're going to react to James Franklin's Tuesday news conference. Unbeaten Ohio State is up next at noon at Beaver Stadium Saturday for James Franklin and the Penn State Nittany Lions. Johnny, I just wanted to start with this. What I'm going to remember most about James's Tuesday presser isn't necessarily uh, anything that he said. It was the pregnant pause uh, after one of his questions. When I actually thought it was pretty clever, but... Uh, James was, I think James had this teed up. Sean Clifford was named Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week, 295 yards and four touchdowns in the 45-17 win over Minnesota. And eventually at the start of the press conference, James got around to mentioning that. And he's like, Sean Clifford, Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. And then there was like five or six seconds of dead air. And then he, he continued again. Uh, he got a big laugh in the room from the beat writers. But this was obviously Johnny kind of like a reaction to, you know, he was asked about Sean and Drew Aller and, you know, you know, Sean had not played well against Michigan. Lo and behold, he had a nice game against Minnesota and and James, James had fun with it. So the, the question for you is, did you find that funny? And number two, what's he going to say if Sean does not play well against Ohio State? I don't know about the latter, Bob. I think we, we might find out. We might not find out. Uh, Sean Clifford might go on just a torrid run here and use this Minnesota game as, uh, as a springboard, you know, in terms of what I thought about uh, how James handled that, I did think it was a little funny. I thought it was even funnier uh, when it ended up getting to the questions on the Zoom before uh, I got to you guys in the room. I think it was Mike Gross from Lancaster who asked him about that pause, about that for, for seemingly for emphasis. Uh, and <laughs> James said that, yeah, you know, I think that was just your Wi-Fi. Uh, <laughs> Uh, just playing coy, playing fun. So, yeah, it, it was one way to respond. And when you get questions about Drew Aller, not just from us in the media, but from the fan base, you know, they, they hear that. Franklin hears it. Clifford hears it. Everyone in that locker room hears it and knows that it goes on. Uh, and then Sean goes out there and performs the way he did. And, again, it wasn't it wasn't good early. We talked about this in the press box. You know, after that interception, it was ugly. Those two, three announced to start the game as well. But the way he was able to bounce back uh, and found his tight ends and was helped out a little bit. Mitchell Tensley making a a hell of a play, that one-handed catch, and Parker Washington going up and nabbing that thing out of the air. But it was a good bounce-back performance by Sean Clifford. And uh, James Franklin's uh, silence uh, let us know how he thought uh, how his uh, six-year quarterback played. Well, let's get to a couple of numbers real quick uh, as we talk about it's Ohio State week. James Franklin's Tuesday presser. Uh, James was in a pretty good mood, and they did stomp Minnesota. I think he was happy and relieved to get at least to get through that game because I was I thought it was a dangerous game, even though Tanner Morgan didn't play. Because if, if you know if they struggle or they lose that game coming into Ohio State, boy, 
it would have just been, it just would have not have been. I don't think it'd been very pleasant for James' staff or his players. But Ohio State just waxed Iowa uh, fifty-four to ten. Open as a fourteen and a half point favorite, Johnny. It's up. To, it was up to fifteen and a half by the end of Monday. Uh, that is a big, big number uh, for Ohio State on the road. I know they've been rolling of late. I don't know honestly if they've really beaten anyone of note, but you know that is besides the point. They have an arsenal of offensive talent, offensive line, running backs, wide receivers. The quarterback C.J. Stroud who you asked Franklin about. I actually asked him about him as well. Called him pretty much the front, run, front runner for the Heisman Trophy. If he isn't the front runner, it's a, it's a short list that's in front of him because he's a talented player. I just wanted to say one other thing to you, John. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, James is running through the list of talented Ohio State Bucky, Buckeyes. Uh, he got to the wide receivers. He mentioned Marvin Harrison and then another guy. And then he's like, oh, there's a bunch of other guys that uh, – that they really like. He did not, I thought it was funny, he did not mention the name of Julian Fleming of Southern Columbia, the one that Penn State thought they had, but uh, he had ended up going to Ohio State. In his third year, he's finally developed into a playmaker. Jackson Smith in Jigba has been hurt all year. He's capitalized, but Fleming's a dangerous player and just another weapon for that Ohio State offense. Yeah, I, I also noted that Fleming was not mentioned by James Franklin, a kid who... The, you know, the Penn State staff thought that they had him uh, locked up, but uh, going back and even reading a story from Penlot from a few years ago from when Fleming picked Ohio State over Penn State, it was the instability uh, on the coaching staff, he said, uh, that did it for him. You know, three wide receiver coaches in three years, uh, whereas he, you know, he formed a really good relationship with Brian Hartline at Ohio State. And after a couple of slow seasons, uh, it's really started to pick up. Uh, for Fleming, you know, he has, what, 327 yards, six touchdowns on only 17 catches. Uh, he's a big play threat for them at a 79-yard touchdown against Iowa last weekend. And that was a game in which we talked about C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud was just on point, and he's been on point all season long. Uh, his yards per attempt are first in the country, or excuse me, second in the country. His passer rating second in the country, uh, 28 touchdowns as tops in the FBS. He's just been He's been on, and it's not just in the pocket. He's been rolling out. James Franklin mentioned today that it's it's somewhat unusual that Stroud is as good in the pocket as he is running outside of it and making plays. Uh, and, look, it helps having Marvin Harrison Jr., who has come on super strong. They have Emeka Ibuka, who is also very good. And Smith and Jigba has taken a backseat because of injury, but he's still a super talented guy. And then even that offensive line, I mean, 300-pounders across the front, a solid tight end and Stover and a running game that really helps you balance things out. This offensive uh, weaponry, the, the juggernaut that is Ohio State, is going to be really difficult to stop. Uh, but I asked James Franklin about the confidence in his secondary uh, because this is the battle that we're all looking forward to seeing, Bob, is you know Joey Porter Jr., Kalen King, uh, Johnny Dixon, Jair Brown at, at safety uh, going up against this Ohio State passing game and James did say that, hey, this is something that you know we, we feel good about our secondary. We're really confident. We're going to need that confidence. But they also have to keep in mind that while Stroud is the guy that pulls the strings and is the Heisman frontrunner, the betting Heisman frontrunner, they've got other weapons. They've got other ways to beat you. You know, let's let's just talk about perception with Penn State and Ohio State because I guess there's two ways you could look at Ohio State, Penn State during Franklin's time in his ninth year. Um, you could make the argument, Johnny, that no one plays Ohio State tougher in the conference than Penn State. They played some very close games. Penn State 
has just one win during the Franklin era, one in seven, but it was the 2016 game where they rallied to beat him 24-21. They could have won the game in 17. They could have won the game, you know, in 18. Actually, in 2014, the year that Ohio State won the national championship, Penn State was up on them in overtime, and, and they came back. JT Barrett took over in overtime, and they won that game. Down the stretch, they just really, really got it rolling. But yes, he's one in seven versus Ohio State. A lot of the games have been down to the wire. If you're a Penn State fan, are you thinking more about one and seven, Johnny, or do you think they're thinking more about, hey, we can all we always just about always play these guys tough? I think it's the latter, especially after you know the Minnesota win. That's got to give you a little bit of confidence. And if you're an optimist, you're saying, hey, we just beat Minnesota by 25 and just responded really well after Michigan and. I, I, again, I look at that secondary, and I think I said it to you after the Michigan game. I think it was when we were recording our video uh, at the Big House, and it's you know it's easier to say it then after you just watched Penn State get run through like crazy by Michigan. But uh, even before the season, I thought that this Penn State team matched up better uh, against Ohio State, uh, just given you know what, what you have and what we've seen, I guess, over the last few weeks. I, I, you know, the my thought in that, my belief in that, has grown stronger over the last few weeks, and. Uh, part of that is seeing the front seven get torn up against Michigan, but it's also seeing what Joey Porter has been able to do, how Kalen King has emerged as a corner. I mean, he's just, he's been out an outstanding player this season for them. And so, you know, you're not going to shut down CJ Stroud, I don't think, but you know, he made some questionable decisions. Uh, you know, he had a pick overturned by a penalty uh, at Iowa. So, I mean, th- there's, there's scenarios where you can maybe get after him and, and, you know, not only in the backfield, if you it, Chop Robinson, he's got to play this week. He didn't play in the Minnesota game. That's that would be a big absence uh, for Penn State. But if they have him back and they're able to, you know, create some pressure on Ohio State, I think there's a path there to, to again have this be a close game. I, I look at fourteen and a half, and you know, just given the history between these two teams, it, it seems it seems big. I get why it's big. I mean, Penn, excuse me, Ohio State's average margin of victory I think is around thirty-seven points this year. So I get it. Uh, but at the same time, this is a Penn State team that seems like it matches up well against them, Bob. I don't know. I, I, am I am I talking crazy here or what? You're not talking crazy at all. I, I do, especially when it grew to 15 and a half, right? Because that's it doesn't sound. But the difference between 14, 14 and a half, and 15 and a half when you talk about the back door, and maybe I, I mean that's I mean Penn State. There's really only in my mind since Franklin's been here, they've only gotten blown out uh, once, and that was the 2015 game. It was a primetime game at the shoe, 38-10. to 10. Uh, Urban Meyer was still the coach. Barkley actually ran for 190 yards in that game, but he had no help. They used, uh, they used two quarterbacks, Ohio State. They started the big guy, Cardell Jones, but it was actually JT Barrett that just shredded Ohio State as the game went on. But every other game, you know, Penn State has put up pretty much they, – they fought. They fought to the end. I expect them to do it again. Last year's game, Johnny – you know, 33-24 was the final at the shoe. Penn State played well early. Really, the difference in the game, though, was a turnover. Uh, I believe it was a strip sack uh, of Sean Clifford that they returned for a touchdown. And it was a fairly even game, and a lot of that was because Penn State was able to do two things well. Their secondary, where Kalen King really wasn't a part of it, they had Tariq Castro-Fields, they had Joey Porter, uh, they had Hardy, they had Jair Brown, they had Brisker. I mean, that's, that was a really good secondary last year. They made Ohio State work for their yards. They made them have to drive the ball to score. The other thing is they did, until the very late stages of the game, they did a really nice job on Travion Henderson. He had one long run of like 60 yards, but 
he had a lot of carries and it was like two, three, four yards. So, I mean, I think that I think the blueprint and the recipe is there for Penn State's defense. Make them work, get a turnover or two, play the field position game, tackle well, um, do not give up any easy scores. I think that secondary can do just that. So when you look at 15 points, I think you're not crazy. I do think that Penn State, if they start fast, Franklin mentioned that today. The last three games on offense, they have not started fast. Northwestern, obviously Michigan, and even in the Minnesota game, they were down 3 nothing. I think, uh, going into the second quarter. You just can't really do that against Ohio State. But I'm with you. I think that there's a very there's a there's a scenario that definitely works for me where, you know, or, you know, in the fourth quarter of this game, Ohio State's going to have to work for this. And the other thing, too, that Penn State has going for it, especially now after this Minnesota game, I don't think you might have said it after the Michigan game, but Penn State's running game came alive against Minnesota in a in a sneaky, you know, encouraging way. Uh, both Singleton and Allen with over 70 yards, uh, Singleton finding the end zone a couple of times. You look back at last season's game against Ohio State, Penn State's running backs combined for 40 or 50 yards and really didn't do a whole lot. It was on Sean Clifford uh, to throw the ball 52 times. If Sean Clifford's throwing the ball 52 times this weekend uh, and he doesn't have Jahan Dotson out there, I think I think Penn State's going to be in serious trouble. But if they're able to run the ball, you know, if, if they're able to still work, even off that left side, especially with – the way Olu Fashanu has been playing, uh, I know I've mentioned him. It seems like every week, but he's just been impressing me. I agree with you. I agree with you. Every week. You know, if they're able to get that running game going and, and have Singleton pop a few, uh, I wouldn't even be opposed to seeing Catron Allen start. The way that he runs the ball, his vision, he fights for tough yardage uh, after seeing, you know, and again, this isn't all on Singleton by any means. But I think he's just a better running back to start a game with when you're trying to not go three and out. You're trying to get some – continuity and some rhythm uh and so but I think both those running backs bring a lot to the table and they didn't have those two guys last year so if you're able to shorten the game and I'm not saying go full Wisconsin Iowa you know one-dimensional bully ball style but you have to still be able to stretch the field and and take those shots but if you're able to run the ball and and really control the clock a little bit uh shorten the game and limit the number of possessions that Ohio State has and take advantage of yours I'm painting a pretty you know a pretty picture right here but like you know it's not, it's not going to go that perfect uh for Penn State but this is this is the blueprint and I don't think if this game say you had Michigan and then a bye week and then Ohio State this, this would be totally doom and gloom and this wouldn't we wouldn't think this would be possible but after what they did to Minnesota which you know, offensively, they were limited without Tanner Morgan, but defensively, this is a Minnesota team that was good against the run, that was good on third down, and Penn State did a good job in both areas uh, against the Gophers in that win on Saturday night. So I think there's some confidence, there's some there's some things to hold your hat on and, uh, and go for and against Ohio State. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different. And we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. Blue White Breakdown, Penn Lies, Penn State Football Podcast, Johnny McGonigal and Bob Flounders. You know, we've talked a lot about offense halfway through this podcast. Johnny, really, you can make the argument that one of the big storylines in this game involves both defensive coordinators. They're both, they're both first-year defensive coordinators, both of them. Jim Knowles, excuse me, at Ohio State, obviously Manny Diaz at Penn State, they've had a profound effect on their teams. Every, I think the Penn State fan base knows what Manny Diaz 
has done, especially early in the season again in the Auburn game. He had a big impact, I thought, on that game. Aggressive guy, a lot of diverse schemes. I think they've gotten more adept at creating turnovers with Manny kind of calling the shots. He stresses it. But Jim Knowles at Oklahoma State last year, he feel that he he built an elite defense. And it's weird to say that about a Big 12 team, but statistically, they were the, one of the best defenses in FBS. Very disruptive approach. And I think it's carried over to Ohio State. Last year's Ohio State defense was not very good. They had to pull the plug. Kerry Coombs started the year as a DC. They had to pretty much relieve him of his duties that really cost them the Oregon game. Uh, Joe Moorhead, the former Penn State OC, just really schemed them up and won at the shoe. Well, this defense is, I think, one of the reasons why this team might be a little bit more dangerous, Ohio State, especially maybe if they make it to the playoff, is the defense is much better, I think. They're much more stingy. I think they're much better coordinated. Um, some of their better players are emerging. This is going to be a much bigger test, I think, for Penn State's offense than last year's game when they were able to move the ball fairly easily at times against the Ohio State defense. But I think Manny Diaz and Jim Knowles, you know, everyone, I think the total on this game is pretty high. You could also make a case, Johnny, that this game could be played in the low 30s, maybe even the high 20s because of the play of the defense and because of the matchup. Absolutely. And you look at Ohio State's defense last year. You mentioned that Oregon game. Go back to the Michigan yes. game and how they got embarrassed. Yeah. I mean, they got embarrassed. And that's what really, you know, they, they put a lot of money. They put a lot of effort into getting Jim Knowles in as a defensive coordinator. And it's paid dividends so far. I talked about how you know, Penn State should feel you know, confident or, you know, at least for the time being for, with its running game after that Minnesota game. But Ohio State brings in a stout run defense you know, for what they've done. So far this year, they give up around 2.8 yards per carry, which is pretty much the same as Michigan. Uh, And so these aren't the same defenses uh, necessarily, but it's going to be a tough test on the ground. And so uh, I really like what Jim Knowles has been able to do with Ohio State's defense. It's going to be a test for Penn State's offensive line and Zach Harrison off the edge there as well, not just in the run game, but, you know, causing havoc in the backfield when you're going play action or dropping back to pass. Uh, he's a problem, especially on the right side. Uh, you know, Caden Wallace went down in the game against Minnesota. Bryce Effner stepped in at right tackle, and those two guys have been rotating uh, throughout the season. They like to move Harrison along that front, but if they just keep him on the right side, I mean, that's honestly what I would do, uh, and not even test Fashanu and try to try to you know create havoc that way. But I really like what Manny Diaz has done too. Both of these D coordinators could end up being Broyles Award, you know, finalists or not, you know, really candidates. Uh, this season. And and I really like the mentality that Diaz has brought. You know, we talked about all the pass breakups and the, the uh, disruption that the secondary has been able to cause. And a part of that is the talent because Joey Porter, he came into the season as a highly touted guy. And we knew that Kalen King was a talented guy, but the way that they've been able to attack the ball in the air, but at the same time, like they're not getting called for a lot of PIs. And so that's one thing that I'm going to keep an eye on this weekend when you've got good receivers like Ibuka, uh Harrison, you know, Smith and Jigba Fleming, those guys, you know, they're going to stress your secondary. They're going to stress your corners and one-on-one coverage. And it's going to be up to them to, to keep their hands off, but at, at the same time play strong and firm. Uh, and I think Penn State's defense, Penn State's secondary, has done a really good job of that so far this season, but this is their toughest test yet yeah. by far. Let's get to two topics before we, uh, we get out of here on the blue-white breakdown. You mentioned Chop Robinson. He did not play against Minnesota. We saw him kind of roaming around before the game. He was obviously dealing 
with an injury. And I, I think they needed him for the game, right? So it, it wasn't like they said, oh, let's hold him out so I'll be 100% for Ohio State. Whatever was ailing him had to have been significant. I don't know if they're going to have him, but they certainly are going to need him, uh, especially if they're going to try and get some pressure on uh, C.J. Stroud. But I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about one other player on the defensive side, Abdul Carter, the true freshman linebacker. I'm wondering how much we're going to see him against Ohio State. James actually without even, volunteered that the reason he started over Sutherland, and I think they actually moved, they moved Carter and they actually moved Curtis Jacobs to accommodate it, but they still kind of consider Sutherland a safety who's playing kind of a hybrid spot, and they should because he's undersized. But James said they felt better of having, about having three pure linebackers starting against uh, Minnesota's run game. Johnny, I still think based on what I saw from Carter and also what I saw uh, from Jacobs in kind of a new role, that this is their best set. I don't care, run, pass, whatever. They're talking about two high-end physical athletes. I mean, I'm sure there's a role for Sutherland, but I don't, I don't know that we're going to see Sutherland play a lot moving forward unless something's wrong with either Jacobs or Abdul. But I just think that this is their best linebacker group regardless of the offense they're going to face. What say you? I agree 100%. And I think Abdul is athletic enough. He's a younger guy. And I understand in theory why they like Jonathan Sutherland and what he brings as a former safety. I say in theory because I, I just haven't been necessarily impressed with what he's brought. And, and, and not just, just him, but the way that that kind of linebacker group and the way that that whole you know, dynamic works. I really like what I saw at Abdul and Curtis Jacobs on the field. At the same time, now, granted, what James Franklin said was that these were you know three true linebackers on the field at the same time because of what you know the, the challenge that Minnesota presented, and really it was a one-dimensional challenge with their backup quarterback. It was Mo Ibrahim in that running game. Ohio State is not one-dimensional; they will go at you you know two different ways, uh, really throwing the ball with Stroud or running the ball with Henderson or Williams, and so. Maybe it's not as straightforward as that, but I do think that you need Abdul Carter on the field as much as possible. Uh, he's wearing number 11 for a reason. That dude is – he's a baller, and he has grown week by week. We talk about how Fashanu has grown at left tackle. I really like the way Abdul has grown You know, throughout the season. He had that standout performance in Auburn, and he's continued to look good. Uh, eight tackles uh, over the weekend, second only to Jacobs with 14. And so I like that duo a lot, and I think you go ahead and trust – uh, you know, in terms of coverage and all that, like trust what you got in the secondary. Uh, and and if they get beaten coverage once or twice, probably won't kill you. You know, I, I do think that it might not kill you as much as Sutherland not being able to tackle one of their running backs uh, running through an arm tackle. So we'll see. Uh, you know, Sutherland has been a guy who has brought a lot to the program from a leadership standpoint. But uh, give me Abdul Carter's uh, you know potential and ceiling uh, every day. Yeah, the interesting thing to me is. So what will Penn State do when Ohio State goes to like three wide receiver sets? Obviously, you're going to see Penn State in some some form of nickel, maybe even, you know, six defensive backs. But if they're going to keep two linebackers on the field, who will the two linebackers be? Obviously, Curtis Jacobs is going to be one. But what you could see, Johnny, you could see we talk about the Prowler package. That's, three, well, I guess, seven defensive backs. You could see like maybe a 4-1-6. You know what I mean? You could see that because... I just don't know what they're going to do with Carter if if Ohio State goes to, you know, three wide receivers and they want Hardy on the field. But I will I agree with you. You want to get as many fast big athletes on the field against a team like Ohio State because of their running game 
and their receivers and their tight ends. Um, and I just think that uh, even though he's a freshman, he's a better athlete than Jonathan Sutherland. Jonathan Sutherland might know the defense a little bit better, but I think the trade-off in athleticism, it's I think you got to go with Carter, especially in a in a in a in a four-three. He's got to be on the field, Johnny, instead of Sutherland. Let's talk about one more thing. And I think it could be a little bit significant. So this is a game that's going to kick off at noon. And this is the game that Penn State's fan base has been looking forward to. It's not the whiteout game. It was Minnesota, but there was no denying the impact the crowd had. Uh, All those false starts on a team that was very rarely penalized Minnesota. I'm just curious about the noon start during the day. People maybe not quite as fired up as they would be 730 or 8 o'clock. I'm sure Ohio State's happy the game's at noon. I'm not sure how Franklin and his team feel about it, but what do you think about the impact the crowd can have, you know, for a noon kickoff? Yeah, this was actually the question that if the Stroud, because I asked James Franklin about, you know, CJ Stroud and and Penn State secondary uh, today over the Zoom. If that question was taken right before I was lined up, I was going to ask him about it being a noon kick because this is the first time Penn State has hosted Ohio State for anything but a, a primetime nighttime kickoff. And so it will be a little weird. It will be a little different. Uh, they're doing the stripe out, I believe, for this game. Uh, so trying to bring some juice to the, to the noon kick. Uh, and I'm sure Penn State fans will bring plenty of juice themselves. This is Ohio State we're talking about. It's still, regardless of if the sky is you know clear and blue or, or black at night, it doesn't matter, right? Like these, these fans will get up for it and they'll get up and they'll be tailgating in the morning and they'll be good, especially booing, you know, booing the heck out of C.J. Stroud. This is a big game. Uh, for Penn State and its fans, no doubt. I am curious to see what kind of turnout, what kind of uh, energy level the team is at right from the jump, because you know that Ohio State is going to come in, at, le- at least you would think, is going to come in uh, ready to play this game. They they understand uh, what it means for their college football playoff hopes and with Michigan still on the schedule. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what we get. Uh, and, and, look, it, it is kind of unfortunate that, it seems like with Fox, you know, with the big new kickoff and everything, it feels like these games are going to be noon, you know, almost every year, Bob. And I, I don't know when the next time we're going to get a Penn State, Ohio State whiteout at night. You know, when is when is that going to happen again? Which would be unfortunate if, if that's the way it goes. But at the same time, I, I've been I was talking to Penn State fans after the Minnesota game who were saying, you know, hey, why don't we just make a whiteout every year? A team that is good, but you know, we have a better chance of beating. And so you kind of, you know roll with those vibes a little bit more, uh, but we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of, what kind of turn. Well, obviously it's going to be a, a sellout. The turnout is in the question, but the kind of energy and the kind of atmosphere we get. Johnny, real quick, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you as a former Penn State student, do you have any whiteout stories you would like to share with the Penn Live audience about your days as a Penn State student? Or is that something that, uh, as James Franklin would say, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in the offseason. No, no, quickly, uh, because I was covering the team starting my toward the tail end of my sophomore year for the Daily Collegian. So I only got I think it was only one whiteout uh, as a student in the student section. And it was Alabama uh, 2011. They're really early and it was like 96 degrees. At least it felt that way. And it was a butt kicking. So it wasn't that great of an experience. Uh, but, you know, the crowd still brought in everything. And I, like being back in the press box this past weekend, too, Bob, was was really cool because, you know, we, we cover this team and, 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 and that's our job. But still, like, 
you know, these experiences and these environments of college football are always so cool. You know, being down at Auburn was awesome. Being back in the press box for a whiteout and having the press box shaking, it, it felt it felt like home. It felt like normal uh, to me. So that was really cool. Uh, I just got to say to be back in that environment and have. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it was uh, it was a neat environment. Penn State six and one now. Right. They, they, they went out and they beat Minnesota. They did. They did their job. And uh, I'm looking forward to another environment this weekend. All right, Penn State fans, that's it for this Tuesday edition of the Blue White Breakdown reacting to James Franklin's press conference, Ohio State Week. Sean Clifford, Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. Pregnant pause. Take that, Penn State fans. Um, All right, guys, we'll be back to talk to you next week. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Live.